0: Hello and welcome to the Oleaster Podcast, the audible version of articles on oleaster.org. I'm Devin Phillips, the author and your narrator. Without further ado, let's dive in. Sisterhood of the Serpent Crushers,
1: Psalm 68
0: and Allusions in Scripture to the Skull-Crushing Sea. Psalm 68 is a magnificent song of David about the ultimate triumph of God over his enemies. While powerful enough for a surface-level reading, fiery lines like, Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation come to mind. A subtle theme recounting the stories of women skull crushers and the victorious king that they foreshadow adds a considerable depth and color to understanding of the psalm and encourage us to join in the great host of women who will declare the final victory over our ancient serpent enemy. Psalm sixty eight opens with battle lines drawn. Let God arise, let his enemies be scattered, and let those who hate him flee before him. And it closes with a majestic description of the kingdoms of the earth worshipping. Sing to God, O kingdoms of the earth, sing praises to the Lord. An ultimately eschatological scene, the psalm is a prophetic description of, day of the Lord events, the judgment of the wicked, the joy of the righteous, the writing of systemic evil, and the scattering of God's enemies that ends in a command for the nations of the earth to praise the God of Israel, who has chosen Mount Zion for his holy habitation. The turning point in the psalm from open defiance to total international submission is in verse 11. The Lord gives the command. The women who proclaim the good tidings are a great host. Kings of armies flee. They flee. As a result, God, quote, scattered the peoples who delight in war. This great host of women first caught my attention. Who are they? What part do they play in this final victory of God? Why do they divide the spoil, but the men lie in sheepfolds? Like so many things, The answers to what will happen in the future described in this psalm lie in the past. An enemy is made. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Genesis 3.15 The fall narrative of Genesis 3 is the context for the first gospel declaration in Scripture, that though mankind had sinned and rejected God's leadership, God had a redemptive plan to reverse the curse of their disobedience in the form of the woman's offspring. The enmity between the woman and the serpent comes to a head, no pun intended, when the seed of the woman crushes the serpent's skull, setting up a type that will be echoed throughout subsequent history. This prophecy of the promised seed who strikes humanity's ultimate enemy's skull will be referenced in Psalm 68, verse 21. But God will strike the heads of his enemies, the hairy crown of him who walks in his guilty ways. Instead of a seed from Genesis 3, however, God is striking the head of his enemies. Could the messianic seed and God himself perhaps be one and the same? It seems that King David thought so, and he continues to expand on this theme of crushing the skulls of the wicked by obliquely referencing two other stories from the time of Israel's judges. 10 peg of justice, and men in sheepfolds. But Yael took a 10 peg and took a hammer in her hand. Then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. So he died. Judges 4, verses 21. The Israelites were in dire straits during Deborah's judgeship over Israel. The Lord had given them over to the rulership of a cruel Canaanite king named Jabin for 20 years as judgment for the evil they had done. However, when the people of Israel called on the Lord for relief, he mercifully raised leaders to free them from their oppression. Deborah summoned a warrior named Barak and reminded him that God had commanded him to gather 10,000 men of Israel and attack King Jabin's general Sisera and his troops. Barak says he will obey the word of the Lord, but only if Deborah will go with him. Deborah agrees to go with him, but lets him know that he will not receive full battle glory because the Lord will, quote, sell Sisera into the hands of a woman. God used Barak and the 10,000 men of Israel to completely rout Sisera and his troops at the foot of Mount Tabor. As his army was being slaughtered to the man, Sisera fled from the battlefield to what he believed to be a nearby ally, the tent of Yael wife of Herber the Kenite, who is at peace with the Canaanite king. Ya'el met sisera on the road, invited him into her tent, tucked him in, and gave him milk to drink. Battle-weary and feeling safe, Sisera falls asleep. After her tender ministrations to her guests, however, Ya'el does something surprising that goes against the laws of hospitality and local political alliances. She grabs a tent peg and a hammer and drives the peg through his temple while he lies sleeping. Barak had been pursuing Sisera and Yael went out to meet him to show him where his enemy had fallen, fulfilling Deborah's prophetic word of Sisera being sold into a woman's hand. In response to the bloody death of their oppressor that ultimately led to the overthrow of King Jabin himself, Deborah and Barak sing a victory song that fully credits the Lord for their success, which is echoed in several places in Psalm 68. In Judges 5, verses 4 in psalm sixty eight verses seven through eight, the earth and the mountains quaked at the marching of the Lord in judges five sixteen and in psalm sixty eight thirteen the shame of the menfolk of the tribes who avoided battle contrary to the summons of the Lord is exposed, saying that they preferred to remain with their livestock in sheepfolds than obey their summons to war in judges five thirty and psalm sixty eight twelve women discuss and speculate on the divisions of spoils. These close parallels between the two passages indicate that the psalmist is very intentional in his language, deliberately mirroring his song with the song of Deborah and Barak, tying back to the theme of God who crushes his enemy. If the point needed further reinforcement, however, the psalm has another skull-crusher allusion by mentioning a mountain. Mount Zalman scorched earth and milestones. And a certain woman threw an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull, Judges nine verses fifty-three. In Psalm sixty-eight fourteen, David sings, "When the Almighty scattered the kings there, there was snow falling on Zalman. Where is Zalmon, and what happened there? The mysterious mountain only has one other mention in the scriptures. In Judges nine, Abimelech, the son of Gideon, through one of his concubines, made Zalman infamous. This evil character conspired with the inhabitants of Shechem, his hometown, against his deceased father's 70 legitimate sons and killed them to become the ruler. Eventually, a dispute arose between him and the people of Shechem. Abimelech and his troops besieged the city, defeated its armies, and murdered most of its inhabitants. However, a thousand men and women escaped and fled to a fortified tower. In response, Abimelech climbed the nearby Mount Zalman and led his army in cutting branches and gathering wood. Once they had enough firewood, they transported it to the lower chamber of the tower, transforming it from a place of refuge to horrific pyre that burnt the thousand trapped inside. Continuing his campaign of terror, Abimelech went to Thebes, a nearby town, and captured it. In a replay of the events of the last fight, the city's citizens fled and took refuge in a tower. As burning the building in Shechem had ended the previous battle neatly and decisively, Abimelech stuck to his strategy and decided to burn the remnant of Thebez alive in the stronghold as well. However, as Abimelech approached the tower, a woman threw a millstone that landed on his head, crushing his skull. As he lay dying, Abimelech was more distressed by the fact that a woman had brought him down than he was concerned about his own impending death. He commanded his armor-bearer to, Draw your sword and kill me, lest it be said of me, a woman slew him. The promised seed that would crush the skull of the serpent and the story of Yael smashing Sisera's temple with a tent peg Harmonized perfectly with this story of an unnamed woman sheaving a millstone and saving her family, friends, and neighbors from certain death at the hands of a wicked enemy. King David skillfully recalled the entire account with just one reference to Mount Zalman. But how does weaving all of these threads into this psalm give us insight into the great host of women prophetically portrayed as proclaiming God's final and ultimate victory in verses 11 and 12? The Sisterhood of the Serpent Crushers There's a subtle sub-narrative I think can be reasonably inferred from the themes we've traced in Psalm 68. Though the ancient serpent deceived our mother Eve and subsequently left us under the curse of sin and death, our kind savior, our promised Messiah seed, reversed not only her state of cursedness, but also her shame by involving her and her daughters in his rescue mission giving them a glorious and central role. To be clear, there is nothing we can do, men or women, to merit our salvation or aid in Almighty God. However, though we are dust, our God dignifies us by allowing us to partner with Him and participate in His victory. Gael with her tent peg, and the Thesbian woman with her millstone. Miriam with her tambourine, and Hannah with her song, Sarah with her laughter, and Manoah's wife with her visitation. Anna with her prayers, and the Samaritan woman with her living water. Deborah with her battle victory, and Mary with her firstborn son. All of these and more are a host of faithful women who proclaim in word and deed that the wicked kings of the world must flee before the great host of heaven and their all-powerful commander. This cloud of witnesses will join their voices with another host of women who, during the final battle, declare the rout of the rulers foolish enough to battle the lamb slain before the foundations of the world. This Prince of Peace, our promised seed of a woman, will crush Satan underneath his heel and our feet. What a high calling for the daughters of Eve, bought by Messiah's blood. And we should accept nothing less, that we would be a part of the battle choir singing of his glorious victory in real time and joining with the nations in proclaiming, Awesome is God from his sanctuary, the God of Israel. He is the one who gives power and strength to his people. Across generations and nations, We are the Sisterhood of the Serpent Crushers, in the thick of war, roaring his inevitable triumph. Amen. May we see the scattering of God's enemies speedily and in our days. This has been a recording of Sisterhood of the Serpent Crushers from oleaster.org. All Bible quotations are from the English Standard Version unless otherwise specified. If you enjoyed listening, please feel free to read or listen to other articles on oleaster.org. Receive new content in your inbox by subscribing to the Substack or follow at oleasterbranch on X or Instagram. Any and all feedback to this and other articles is welcome. If you have a question, comment, or correction, please feel free to email contest at oleaster.org. The music in this episode is Zion Train by Alexandra Simeone. Thanks for listening. Until next time, Maranatha.